commits primary This is the way. What is up, all of you Ugnots and Jawas out there? And welcome back to a new episode of Mando Talk, your home for season three after shows, spoiler discussions, chapter breakdowns for The Mandalorian. And we have a banger here, folks. Chapter 23, titled The Spies, was absolutely phenomenal. And yet again, I am joined by DJ Foster to help break this down with me, which, by the way, I'm Caleb Keller. I keep forgetting to introduce myself, but that's okay. DJ's more important. DJ, what's up, man? Not not more important. <laughs> not at all. Um, what's up? You know, not a lot. Yeah. I, honestly, I, I, you know, nothing. I have nothing interesting to say today. Really? About, about, that's not about Mandalorian. <laughs> sure. There, there we go. I was about yeah. to segue us there into saying, yeah, oh, we definitely have some interesting oh, things. Oh, no. To talk yeah. About. We, we totally do. Totally do. But as far as personal goes, nah. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's go ahead and, I mean, because there's so much to talk about here. Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead and get ready to go and dive into this one. But as, as we always say off the top, subscribe. Every Friday, you can expect a companion podcast episode. We've only got one more chapter, though. I cannot believe we've already made it to the penultimate episode of Season 3. But I will go ahead and tease this, folks. We have two more podcast episodes to go along with The Mandalorian Season 3. And that is because we're doing a companion for the finale, me and DJ. But... Since Zach Horvath was part of the show for half the season, we felt it was appropriate to have him back on. And what we're going to do is kind of have a breakdown episode for those that are bingers. Like if you're somebody that's waiting to, if you're listening to this right now, you're not waiting. But for people that have waited to watch until they're all out and also kind of like a big recap, kind of just an overall discussion of the entire season. So two more companion podcast episodes for this season of The Mandalorian but let's enjoy this one first. Let's not get ahead of ourselves because there's a lot to enjoy with this one. This one was directed by Rick Famuyiwaya. This dude continues to deliver. I know we absolutely love Bryce Dallas Howard, but I feel like he is up to par at this point. He's just crushing everything that he touches. And then, of course, this one was written by not only John Favreau, but also Dave Filoni. And I certainly think that you can tell immediately that Dave Filoni's got his hands on this script and on the dialogue included in this chapter. DJ, what did you think of the direction, the writing, the episode overall before we do our massive digesting and dissecting of the episode? Just one thing before I get into that. You mentioned Rick Famuyiwa. He, mm-hmm. um, it's it's obvious why he's an executive producer. Okay, it's yeah. been it's been made very clear. 
um, his Mandalorian episodes have always hit home for me. I've mm-hmm. always been great. And this one's no different. Um, th- there's a lot going on. And this this episode has sparked a lot of conspiracy talk and a lot of theori- theorizing across. I've seen it everywhere. I've seen it on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I've seen I'm not, I've not there's not one place I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. And um and even like i've got my my brother uh not not the one who's been on the show but my youngest brother brock he's like texting me he goes hey are those the is that that and i'm like i think so you know and like it just kind of talking through things so you know i've got my own theories about certain uh helmeted individuals and and uh naturally and We'll we'll see. You know, I think that those will come up as we talk. I intend to bring them up here and there, but I'm yeah. seeing Clone Wars connections. I'm seeing Rebels connections. I'm seeing Legends connections. I'm seeing so much here and sequel trilogy connections. I mean, it, it's all over the place and and yeah. and, and, the, and in a good way. It's not all over the place in a bad way. I want to make mm-hmm. that very clear that that for me, everything really hit the right way for me. And yeah. and, it, and it is really a lot of fun. This episode as a whole. And so without like talking a whole bunch of spoiler things, you know, that that's that. Yeah. It, it is wild how this Mandalorian show has suddenly become like this interconnective weaving through the story, connecting to all canon at this point. It's just connecting to prequels, animation, originals, sequels, just everything. And it's just absolutely wild. And of course, us yeah. canon junkies are eating this stuff up. But I know some of you that listen aren't necessarily like animation viewers and, and novel readers and legends readers and things like that. And that's totally fine. That's what we are here to help you along with. That's that's what you've got us here, folks. That's why you've got us here. I'm All just right. trying to convince people to go watch and read the stuff. Well, and I think the show, I think <laughs> The Mandalorian is naturally kind of getting people it has for me interested. Very interested. And I yeah, think it totally from, has for on me. my end, and I think me and you, DJ, have kind of personally talked about this, but on my end, I'm I'm thinking like in the summer, rewatch Rebels. Watch or, or try to read through all of the Thrawn content that's out yeah, there as yeah. we're prepping up for Ahsoka. But anyway, we'll definitely get to that. And you can probably see some content bleeding over into our podcast whenever we get into that probably as well. So let's get into it, though. Let, let's get into this episode. First thing, we hop on Coruscant. Major Blade Runner vibes here as Elia Kane is secretly walking down an alleyway where she is met by an Imperial probe droid which scans her face as she gives the code TK2755. Then suddenly, Moff Gideon begins communicating with her through a hologram. In this conversation, Elia Kane reveals to Moff Gideon that a group of Mandalorians rid the pirate problem on Navarro for Grief Karga, and the mission was led by none other than Bo-Katan Kryze, as well as Din Djarin and his covert. This is shocking to Moff Gideon, as he believes these two coverts oppose each other due to their beliefs. Moff Gideon informs Elia Kane to continue her mission, and of course, this scene for me, I loved it because it finally confirms that Elia Kane has been working on the directive of Moff Gideon to wipe out Dr. Pershing to prevent the New Republic from learning of his work and all of those different things that we've kind of theorized here on the show. So I love that plot development, that moving forward here, of course, as well as Moff Gideon popping up. What do you think of this Blade Runner-esque opener? I was just happy to see Coruscant, honestly, you know, and, and the Coruscant that I, I tend to recognize better from, 
um, Attack of the Clones and a lot of Revenge of the Sith. And, you know, I, I just love it when Coruscant looks its best to me at night. And I've always yes, actually been and yes, I've always been curious. How does it rain on Coruscant? And mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. This is so dumb. But the scientific side of it was like, how does emissions work? And like, how does does it acid rain? Like, what is it? <laughs> And then I was nice to it was nice to see that in this episode it kind of comes in the form of a mist. Yeah. And I just thought yeah, that, that was, was cool. kind of I just thought that was a maybe they didn't mean to do that. I just was like that kind of helped a weird headcanon thing for me. Uh-huh. Um loved this. The the probe droid descending gave me some goosebumps. I'm not gonna lie. Ooh, like that was watching so cool. Watching it and that big red eye, you know, it, it reminded me of, of the weird spider monster thing in, in Mandal in Mandalore and a few episodes back when Bo Katan rightfully got back the uh dark saber from dinjar in there in a way so it, it's kind of you know a cool intro and i was i, I was up until the scene shifted mm-hmm. from coruscant to where moff gideon is i thought that this okay that we're just getting moff gideon in this one appearance in this episode yeah so i was glad to see that wasn't the case definitely wasn't the case and uh Mo- the moff gideon content if you were craving that goodness gracious uh, we got it in this episode, yeah, and yeah. I can't wait to get to all the great moments uh, with him. But but again, love the opener. It immediately kind of set the tone. You mentioned the probe droid yet again. Yeah, gave me goosebumps as well because it immediately just kind of puts me in that space of, ooh, the Empire's up to something, and they're yeah. probably going to be successful in some way. So let's let's have a seat. Let's enjoy the popcorn. This is going to get interesting, yes. and, it's, and it certainly did. Well, it continued to get interesting in the very next moments because Moff Gideon begins walking down a hallway with new Imperial Trooper armor that he's amassed kind of beside him, as well as tubes with bodies in them. We'll talk about that in a second. But when Moff Gideon gets to the end of the hallway, a door opens where a group called the Shadow Council is discussing their next steps. Now, before we actually get into this Shadow Council conversation, first, I definitely want to mention the red shields, I guess. Definitely give us Phantom Menace. Ray shields, correct? I think they are. I think they are. Okay. Ray shield vibes from the Phantom Menace 1,000%. But we definitely need to talk about these bodies. Who's in there? What's in there? What's going on? DJ, you got to read on that. Well, I know that, you know, you and I talked about this just over the last week, just talking back and forth about we kept seeing tweets from different people who were at Celebration saying this would be a good episode to watch Force Awakens beforehand. And I was like, okay, you know, like there's three or four different people. I was like, okay. And I talked to you about one or two of them, and you're like, hey, it's 50-50 with this this person. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, then I we each saw one podcast that we both trusted say it, and we were like, okay. So I, I watched Force Awakens. Yeah. And and I was like, what are we going to get? And I texted Caleb. I was just trying to think of, like, options. That what Why would we need to watch TFA before this episode? And the last – one of the last options – actually, it was the last option I sent to you – I said Snoke clones. Mm-hmm. Just, just that's the only thing I can think. And yeah, and from The Force Awakens, that like made the most sense. And you were like, "That's the one. That's got to be it." So to me, these are uh, test tube Snokes. Really? I mean, okay. I, I think it makes sense. We've already seen these test tubes once or twice already in Mandalorian. A few times we saw once some stuff for in, sure. In once, okay. Two. 
Yeah, okay. I, I just, I, I lose track. And, and then the Snoke music during Dr. Pershing's episode at some point was in there. You could kind of hear oh, it a little bit. I didn't just hear Just a little subtlety. Okay. Just a little subtle. Well, just we know that Palpatine ends up being a clone, and Clone Wars helps us, you know, with this, this the, identifying this obsession of cloning with Palpatine with the Zillow Beast, and that was pulled into Bad Batch, and cloning's all over. I mean, just there's a lot of stuff that's really helping connect to these this one little second, you know, I mean, and I could talk about it yeah. for a long time. I'm not going to, but I love that. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a Snoke test tube. Yeah. No, I think it is, but um, it make it just, that's really based on the shape. I'll just be real honest mm -hmm. with you. The shape inside the test tube looks like Snoke. Yeah, it would definitely make sense. And I think it would kind of connect to some things that they've set up and have teased at throughout this show so far. So that's definitely where my head went at it first also based on the conversation that occurs later during this shadow council meeting here in a minute also makes me think that maybe moff gideon's kind of up to his own thing potentially so we'll definitely see but yeah my headspace personally immediately went to snoke as soon as i saw those but you know maybe we'll find out that moff gideon's up to his own little experiments which is what the shadow council is thinking that he might be doing so let's get into the shadow council discussion here several imperial authors are discussing how citizens are loyal to the empire all across the galaxy as there are many who are already getting sick of the new republic captain paleon which immediately for me i'm freaking out here because this is thrawn's second in command officer in the heir to heir to the empire trilogy alludes to a secret plan of Grand Admiral Thrawn's return with an incredible military. So, hearing Paleon's name, seeing that he looks exactly like he does in Legends, hearing Grand Admiral Thrawn's name drop here was enough for me to be already freaking out. And we're three minutes into the episode, so that was phenomenal. And then it kept going. Sequel connection. Commandant Hux is in attendance. He is working on Project Necromancer and would benefit from Thrawn's return because it would buy him more time with said project. Now, Hux should sound familiar to you folks. Of course, Commandant Brindle Hux has an illegitimate son named Armitage Hux, who does in fact become General Hux that we see in the sequel trilogy. Now, I did a deep dive personally because I was curious. Of course, that's what we do here at Mando Talk. We give you all the goods. Brindle, this dude is definitely not a good dude, obviously, if he's serving the Empire, if that doesn't give it away. But also, canonically, he is known for abusing his son both physically and verbally since he views Armitage as weak. Brindle takes it upon himself to toughen Armitage up so he can one day lead the remains of the Empire. Furthermore, Brindle Hux is alluded to in several canon stories, most notably in the Aftermath novel trilogy written by Chuck Windeg, if you are interested to learn more. So I loved doing that deep dive personally. It made me kind of feel bad for Hux, General Hux, the guy that we know from the sequel trilogy, because he's definitely been through some traumatic experiences, and you can kind of understand then how that character became to be the way he was in the sequels. But anyway, that was, that's diving deep, deep there. But uh, let's just kind of pause there as far as this conversation. DJ, I know you haven't read Heir to the Empire, so you may not have even heard who Captain Paleon was, but then we got the Hux mention. We got the Grand Admiral Thrawn name drop. How are you feeling in these moments? Yeah, as you said, I haven't read Heir to the Empire or that trilogy. Although I, after, after this week, it, I think I need. I mean, it's inevitable at this point. I know that there are going to be 
things in those books that are not going to be brought into canon. And so mm-hmm. that is, that's really what's always held me back is knowing that there wasn't a real strong connection between six and seven with these novels. And so right. yeah, this gives me a reason and a desire to want to know what mm-hmm. a connection could be. So Paleon, awesome. Know nothing about the guy aside that he's Imperial and he's got a white mustache. He stole it from Gideon. That's what I'm going to say for now. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. yeah. He, stole I, the, he stole Gideon's stash. Man, and and <laughs> quick sidebar. I know this will, I'm giving myself three tangents. Here's the first one. Three tangents. <laughs> um, here, here's the deal. Um, Gideon's lost his mustache. He shaved it off. Whatever. Yeah. I, it's sad. The mustache is gone. But it's on the character poster that released today. Yeah, and it's like, okay. Disney, that wasn't great. No. You they just copied and pasted from a season two uh, yes. footage and promo. Yeah. And <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. But, you know, somebody going just whatever. Okay. So <laughs> that's it on the mustache. I'm just I'm, It's weird. All right. But Paleon... Um, don't know much about him, so I'm excited to learn more. And and with Ahsoka, I'm sure we will get more of that character. Um, I was just, you know, fixated on Hux, the Brindle Hux, because yeah. he he's clearly, you know, I was like, who is this guy? I, I I didn't. I'm obviously he's Hux, you know. So I had to like figure it out. Did what you did, figured out that it's Brindle. It's it's um, General Hux's dad from you know he's he's in the sequels, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, but what I actually what really like triggered it was I was looking at the cast list at the end of the episode, just on the TV. And I saw not Domino Gleason, but his brother, I can't remember his first name, but it's that the guy that plays, uh, Brindle Hux is actually Domino Gleason's brother. Who oh, wow. Played. That's cool. So it's cool. Now his brother is his dad in a, in a roundabout kind of way. And I like that we're using family members here, you know, yeah, to bring cool. in and, and do these kinds of things. It, it it's it's really great because he looks like Hux. And I actually was like, did they do something to Domino Gleason? And I was like, oh mm-hmm. nope, that's his brother. You know, it's I don't remember his name, so I'm just gonna call him Bill. But you know, Bill Bill's there now, and it's just kind of neat, you know, that they're doing these little things like that. Great connections to canon stuff, and then. You know, I was looking up some stuff about Captain Phasma today. Didn't realize because I haven't read any of these, you know, aftermath novels or things that like lead up to The Force Awakens. Like I haven't read the Phasma novel. Yeah. So, okay. And so you might not know this either. Uh, Maybe you do, but Phasma and Hux Jr. um, conspire to kill Hux Sr. Oh, wow. Okay. And, And so when I found that out today, it was like, oh my gosh, does that mean Captain Phasma showing up? And turns out she wild turns out she's actually, I think like two years old at this point in the timeline. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. I can't remember. I think it was, she was born three years after the battle of Yavin. So she's actually seven or eight years old. So it's kind of nice to be like, okay, Phasma's that's how old she is. She's alive, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm doing that kind of stuff in the back of my head all the time. Thinking about who's actually alive at this point that we see in the sequel trilogy. So this whole scene was just like, making me think about things that are to come, which has been the the story of my breakdowns the last couple of weeks with these the episodes, because that's, that's what yeah. I keep thinking about what's coming down the road, like way down the road. And I'm now thinking about specific characters because we got so-and-so's dad, you know, sure. I just, and, and not to mention Moff Gideon doing some sketchy kind of shady conversating here. Yeah. And, and and I, it's almost like we're pitting Moff Gideon against Thrawn a little bit, and I love that. 
Yep. Um, because it, we've got to move towards Ahsoka. And so, yeah. and we're going to get there. You know, it's just, it's just a matter of time before we see what happens between Moff Gideon and Thrawn. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, you were kind of alluding to things that are coming. This episode triples down on the fact that Thrawn's our big bad for this entire Mandoverse. Yeah. We also, I don't think it's, it's a coincidence that they saved the Ahsoka trailer for celebration because they show Thrawn in it. And then immediately the Mandalorian episode that comes out the same week alludes to Thrawn being the big yeah. bad. So just great stuff across the board regarding getting that name drop. But yeah, Moff Gideon is kind of going at Thrawn a bit here. He questions why Thrawn is continuously missing from the council if he is their leader, but Paleon responds by saying the one hope for success relies upon the secrecy of Thrawn's return. Moff Gideon is starting to not believe in Thrawn's return as he doesn't hear a word of secrets of Thrawn from across the galaxy, and all he hears are all the secrets of the galaxy. So Gideon presents the idea of looking for new leadership, which many of the officers agree to, which, which I was personally kind of surprised by. Hux questions Gideon on if he was using Dr. Pershing to attempt his own experiments on Navarro. So that's kind of alluding to what we were mentioning, mentioning earlier. Some of these Imperials think Gideon's kind of up to his own thing. And I would absolutely love if that's actually what it turns out to be. I do think this, the body in season two was Snoke. But I could also see here in this season, though, maybe Gideon seeing that action being occurring. He's like, okay, maybe I'll use Pershing for my own little motives here on the side. But we'll see. We'll definitely see. Well, continuing on here. Gideon confronts Hux and Paleon, who he believes is getting more resources than the other Imperials in the Shadow Council. Gideon requests three Praetorian guards, reinforcements for his TIE Interceptor Squadron, and bombers, as he is concerned with Mandalorians reclaiming Mandalore, which would derail their grand plan. Of course, at that moment, everyone agrees that they need to tend to the Mandalorian problem since Paleon believes it would hamper their efforts and Thrawn's return. So Paleon and Hux agree to Gideon being given these additional resources. And the meeting ends with a massive, long live the Empire led by Moff Gideon. This dude is on an absolute power trip in, in these moments, he feels like the head honcho, and I definitely think that's the main takeaway of this scene. Obviously, other than him getting the reinforcements that we see later in the episode, I think the main takeaway in this scene is potentially setting up an issue and beef between Gideon and Thrawn. And I know for me personally, I'll go ahead and just give it like a little mini prediction, I guess. I'm kind of seeing a possibility of seeing Thrawn get rid of Gideon early in the Filoni movie, similar to how the MCU established Thanos as a massive big bad by immediately having him kill Loki right at the beginning of Infinity War. I kind of see it almost in that sense. Like, we've got these two villains. We know Thrawn is the overall big bad, so have him kill this other big villain, but smaller than himself, uh, to establish the stakes of the movie. That's where my headspace is at currently. But we'll see. It doesn't really matter what my predictions are because I'll probably love whatever they decide to do. But massive, massive scene there. There was so much to break down, so much conversating. I had to watch this scene like 20 times to catch it all. Any final thoughts from you, DJ? Any final predictions for you regarding this Gideon Thrawn beef potentially? I don't think they'll wait for the movie to kill Gideon. Yeah. Um, you know, Bo-Katan is very angry. True. Uh, at the end of this episode 
so is Din Djarin. And I'll toss in Grogu as well. I mean, maybe he's more sad. I don't know. But either way, you got you got some people who are pretty you know, pissed off. Okay. You know, like that's, that's the deal here. And, um, I, I just think that Gideon will die next week, you know, Man, as really, main, wow. I, re- <laughs> I really do. You know, at this point, that's where I'm at. And I would love it if, um, Bo-Katan is the one to do it, hmm. but it feels more likely that if that's going to be the case, Din Djarin will do it. Hmm. Um, at least that's how I see it. And then yeah. I would love to watch, Din and the armorer go toe to toe because I personally think she's working with Gideon. Now we'll we'll get yeah. to that. We can get to that later. For sure. It's one of yeah. those helmeted conspiracies I mentioned <laughs> up at the front. Yeah. But um that's where I'm at right now. You mm-hmm. know, this Shadow Council stuff is great. I love mm-hmm. it. It's very reminiscent of the Jedi Council. Um, except these guys are actually doing something shady. Yeah. You know, and I love the antith- antithesis of that. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's that's a really cool thing, I think. Um, but beyond that, you know, th- those are some like little little thoughts I have. From, yeah. yeah. From not just this moment, like this moment, as soon as I heard Gideon was like, I hate Thrawn, basically. You <laughs> essentially, know, where essentially, is this like, dude? <laughs> I, I, I don't like him. So let's get rid of him. Like, let's just vote him out of office. And it's like. It doesn't really work that way, obviously. And yeah. and also those of us who watch Rebels know that I think Paleon is covering for Thrawn because he mm. knows he's missing. Mm. Mm. You know, mm. or maybe he's already back. I don't know. Cause yeah. you know, last time we saw Thrawn on screen legitimately was um like six seconds before Rogue One. Okay. Mm. You know, like that was the last time we saw him. And now canonically. Yeah. Canonically. So now we're post Return of the Jedi. It's like, okay, is he still missing? Has he been missing this whole time? And if he's missing, where's Ezra? It's just it's a lot of random. Yeah. My my whole mindset, I've got like 18 different tabs open on Google right now. Okay. Like that's mm-hmm. what my brain feels like. <laughs> it feels like a bowl of spaghetti. It really yeah. does. Yeah. And, well. and, and I I keep thinking I'm gonna find a, the the end of the line and I sure. have it. You yeah. Know, oh, well, gotta... I think we'll be searching for a while, and and luckily <laughs> yeah. they've they've got some some content to come out to uh, answer some questions here very yes, soon. Yes, for sure. Very soon. Well, phenomenal scene. Uh, probably one of my favorite scenes of the season so far, if I'm being completely honest, because mm-hmm. I'm I'm just I just love that Thrawn presence, that villain presence that we were kind of missing early in this season. But I'm glad that we've definitely made it all right moving on here on navarro the fleet of mandalorians make their arrival to the children of the watch covert the two coverts come face to face as bo-katan and the rest of her group take their helmets off and paz vizsla and axe woves share a massive stare down tensions rise but the armorer welcomes the new covert with arms wide open now she bashes the hammer together, the the talking stick, the the little the plucking the the tongs, if you will, to get everybody's attention. I'm thinking, yeah, the armor is great. She's this middle ground person now. All of a sudden, this is fantastic. We'll see about that though. Again, we've teased it already. We'll talk about the armor a little bit more later. Now, the scene continues. I loved this. Grief Carter 
Grief Carger. Grief Carga <laughs> offers gifts to Din Djarin, Space Whiskey, that's 1,000% what that was, from Coruscant, and IG-11, who is assembled back together but is being piloted and controlled by an Enzelin with the designation of IG-12. This is essentially for Grogu to hop in and control. Even though Din Djarin says Grogu is too young to operate it, Grogu begins controlling it and responding with yes or no out of approval or disagreement and begins hitting the yes button over and over and over and over as he is absolutely loving this. And I love the directorial decision to cut to the streets of Navarro with the yes, yes, over and over and over as he's just kind of going on the streets. Grogu's taking advantage of this. He gets some food. He chows down. Din Djarin says this just ain't working for him. And I completely forgot about this, but I remember, DJ, the Book of Boba Fett was coming out, and we talked about a report that said there was a droid on set that was built for Grogu to fit inside of. But I could have Mm -hmm. never imagined that it was actually IG-11 brought back to life, in a sense, and becoming IG-12. Like, all of this, all of this was fantastic. Loved these Grogu droid IG-12 moments. How about you? Okay, so I remember seeing a leak about Grogu being strapped back to uh, IG-11's chest several, several, several months ago. Okay. So when I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, all right, well, there's that random leak from forever ago. Okay. But here's, okay, this is such a stupid little thing. There's already an IG-12 in existence. Oh, is there? It, it, look, look, I'm not going to go into all the details of it. It's a really, really long article on Wikipedia. Just look up the IG-series droids on Wikipedia. Uh-huh. Look, every, every IG and then a number is a different IG. That's how the designation works. Uh-huh. And so when they were like, oh, he's IG-12, oh, it's like, are we... I are we doing a Fast and the Furious thing here? Let me explain. You have the Fast and the Furious. That's the first one. The second one is Too Fast, Too Furious. Are we just sticking a two in there and calling it a day? And so I was like, okay, I'm annoyed by the name change, honestly, because it disrupts previous oh, man. things. I know that's going to be my – I'm going to be the only person yeah, you in are. all you are the of only Star Wars fandom who gives a rip about this. I know that. All right. Listeners, listeners, if you haven't canceled this man for his Pedro Pascal takes, cancel this man for IG-12 bothering him. Come on. I, it, it's just an annoying little thing. I am I am that fan. I realize that. But it's like, it's just, it's just, it's oh, disappointing. Man. We're, we're a hard, hard disagreeing on this. Now, one. now this is like the rest of him being in the IG thing, though. Let me uh-huh. just go further with this okay so it should have been ig99 and you would have been totally okay <laughs> no ig99 already exists oh my gosh that's the thing look i'm look okay this you needs to what? be a tiktok Ten- click or something number two right, All right here. we're keeping track we're keeping okay track. right here at the very top of the ig series um canon oh canon list okay oh my gosh you have RGRM body bodyguard and enforcer droid. He works with Cad Bane. IG11, IG70. You have an IG86 that uh, a, a Sentinel droid. IG88, the OG. Sure. Yeah. IG100. It's, oh a, mag, it's a Magna Guard. 
IG Lancer Droid. Those are the ones from the Clone Wars 2D animated that ride on speeders with the, you know, uh -huh. joust, jousting. Uh -huh. And, then, you know, those are like the most notable ones. So there's at minimum, or at, at, I guess maybe at maximum, a hundred IG droids that are named IG dash insert number. So okay. logic tells me there's already an IG 12. Okay. So <laughs> listen, I know this is the dumbest thing I'm going to talk about all night. All right. So I'm a little perturbed by this. Sure. Just, just that. I Clearly. love that. <laughs> I love that Grogu's, you know, playing like an Atari, you know, in, yeah. he, he's inside the droid and he's like got a little Atari joystick and he's yes. And no, he needs more buttons. Let the kid talk more. Okay. There's a lot of little things I want to see happen more with him in the IG droid. I uh -huh. think IG 12 should be dipped in Beskar and mm, have okay. Beskar plating because that's dope. That's Grogu's I'm with you armor, on that. Okay. I'm with like, you on that. Grogu is, is, is very vulnerable unless he's encased in something. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so I don't know how he didn't get shot during this next scene we'll talk about <laughs> yeah, here in a minute for so sure like, so like you know there there's just a lot of things that i'm just like good he's got Man. protection beyond this little floating uh -huh. baby carrier that's uh, great okay ig12 stupid name moving on <clears throat> okay all right well 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 let's Grief Karga is the funny. one. Grief Karga is the one that names him IG twelve. So maybe Stupid that's name. just not the New Republic designation correct number to give him. But that's just what Grief Karga, the dude that last or a couple weeks ago talked to a talking salad, is, is calling him IG twelve. I like come the on, talking salad. Come on. <laughs> no, it's fair. That's fair, man. I'm just just giving you a hard time. You know how we do. I, oh, you know I know. We do. I know. <laughs> I couldn't believe. I can't believe we went that route, though. I wasn't expecting now, that. Now, now I only have one more tangent. Thanks a lot, Caleb. Yes. No, I'm just messing. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> All right, let's keep That's going, good. though. I'm surprised. I'm very surprised by that reaction. But regardless, we agree. Great yeah. for Grogu. Moving oh yeah, forward. it's great for Grogu. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a different name for DJ. Maybe somebody will hear this and they'll be like, "Okay, we got to change the name." <laughs> anyway, okay. All right. Bo-Katan Kryze holds a rallying cry to attempt to get the Mandalorian tribes to work together as she proposes a plan to retake Mandalore. She hopes for the tribes to orbit Mandalore until they can send in a small party to establish a safe perimeter on the surface of Mandalore. Everyone eventually commits to this mission and the tribes begin pulling out of Navarro. For me, this was... A very emotional scene personally it reminded me a lot of that kind of story trope typical typically seen in kind of like medieval styled stories like Lord of the Rings Game of Thrones like you name it really where everyone kind of commits to following a king or or in this case queen for their people to reach an ultimate goal this was a rallying of the troops we're heading to Mandalore finally we're kind of getting back into this story any additional thoughts on that takeaway or that Bo-Katan scene DJ no, it's it's a good leadership moment. Just moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's it yeah, Bo-Katan. Gosh, great character, phenomenal character, and the moments keep coming. The Mandalorians make it to the atmosphere as the small party prepares to land on the planet's surface. Axe Woves reveals he was there on the night of a thousand tears. That was a very interesting drop there. Of course, reminder to everyone, if you didn't for some reason watch the Book of Boba Fett or you just forgot, Night of a Thousand Tears is the flashback we saw in that Book of Boba Fett season. 
where we left Mandalore in the state that it currently is in, where the Empire kind of just bombed them. Uh, the landing zone is secured by Axe, Paz, Casca, and other Mandos. That was a very cool shot, seeing them drop in on the surface. Loved that. All the main characters are now on the planet, and the plan, according to Bo-Katan, is to survey the surface until they find the forge and create a safety zone. Only then will settlers be brought down to the surface. Now, for me, again, another directorial note here. I loved the pacing of this. I'm so glad they took the time to show these Mandalorians just walking together. I, I liked seeing the armor and Din Djarin walking together at the back of the group, and I liked seeing Bo kind of lead the way. Like, give me that. I'm glad that... I feel like this season we have kind of... And it, that's okay that we have because it's season three. Like, we're going faster. Like, just think back to season one, how many times we saw Din Djarin and Grogu just walking like, I love that kind of stuff, and I love that uh, Rick Famuyiwa made that decision to kind of have these moments in this scene as well. Thoughts yeah, on that? Know, Rick directed the second episode of season one, and that's where we saw a lot of walking with Good Grogu. Call. So Great it's call. not it's not too, and a lot of these teaser posters and teaser images have had Mando walking inside the logo. Season two did it. Season three did it. You know, they're just wa so. It's a good point. It, it's just a little of a parallel more than anything there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's really cool. Um, there was something. Oh, the um, this idea of setting up the perimeter and seeing them all go down to the surface. OK, I love that Bo-Katan is one. She's not like the first one off. I think the um, ship, I can't remember now. But when she's like on the surface, regardless of when she gets on the surface, I yeah. think, wow, it's the first time she's been back. You know, well, she was well, back no, it's in not, oh, it's the second time. That's right. Two, so right? never mind. Never yeah. mind. Well, this this is the first time she's back with other Mandalorians besides Correct. other than Jaren. Yeah. And so you kind of start to think about what's the emotional state of of Bo-Katan in this moment. Like, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a director, but if I if I was, I would be telling Katie Sackhoff, hey, really think about what this moment means for mm -hmm. your character. Yeah, you I, got your helmet on, but. Step onto the surface with a lot of pride because you're yeah, just you're viewed as or, the guy or the gal in this sense or, to these or I, I was again. looking at it as being a little afraid, you know, like, okay, yeah, yeah. Think about I see just that. The, the sorrow that she might be carrying with her as a character is mm -hmm. important, I think, in this moment. So as she moves down the ramp, starts to lead these people. Mm -hmm. And we haven't talked about it yet, but these other Mandalorians roll up, you know, we're just starting to think about all these things. I, I'm I'm very like in a, in a weird sense moved by what Bo-Katan might be thinking in this moment. Yeah, yeah. she's got on That's her helmet. Point. We don't we don't see her face, but you know, well, if I'm a director, I would think think about the think about this moment. And yeah. then it, it kind of it does show as the the episode goes on. But in mm -hmm. this moment, you know, I was like, wow, yeah, this is a big moment for her. Yeah, and I, I was thinking back to the episode. I do think she's the last person to actually get on the surface. Okay. Because obviously I think the Mandos, if they view her as their rightful ruler at this moment, uh, we got to clear the way for, for her. So she's the last one to kind of walk out there. And I also think sense. she walked out with helmet in hand, if I okay. recall correctly. And then she yeah. puts it on. And, and then we don't see her face for a while okay. until we get another deep 
conversation at a table, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. So Din Djarin then notices something on the horizon, and it is revealed to be a group of night owls who declared they have failed Lady Bogotan, but they are still in her service. I absolutely love this. One of the Mandalorians, portrayed by Charles Parnell, and most recently played an admiral in the incredible movie that is Top Gun Maverick, I might add, says that Indeed. the Empire bombed twice over to send a message due to them never surrendering. So this is that table conversation that I was just alluding to. Bo-Katan reveals that's not true as she did surrender, which comes as a shock to the others. She clarifies and says after the Night of a Thousand Tears, she met with Moff Gideon. The ISB, which don't forget Moff Gideon is former ISB, reached out and offered a ceasefire. In exchange for submitting to the Empire, all Mandalorian cities and lives would be spared. That is how Gideon came to possess the Darksaber. She gave it up to save her people, and then Gideon betrayed her, and they were helpless to resist the purge of Mandalore. The armor then reveals their covert survived since they were hidden on the Moon Concordia, which leads to the other Mandalorians asking if they are Death Watch. The armor says the Death Watch is no longer, as it shattered into many factions. Bo-Katan makes it clear that the reason why they're kind of in this point, the division that the Mandalorians are at, has led to the issues that these Mandalorian parties have. Like, this is why they've lost the planet. It's because they have their own division amongst themselves, and if they had been united in the first place, they may have been able to withstand the Empire. Obviously, the big reveal in this scene is the fact that Bo-Katan didn't fight Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon didn't win it in battle or anything like that. She simply gave it up because she believed it was the only way her people would be saved from Gideon's ultimate goal of purging all of Mandalore. And this that reveal for me, like I thought I, w- I wanted something epic, but honestly, I love this. I love that she's looking out for her people. I love that she just handed it over. I was floored by this scene, and I loved seeing the emotion on Katie Sackhoff's face as she was sharing this information to her fellow Mandalorians. And also, small detail, I noticed it on my second watch. Casca Reeves looked like she was ready to kind of defend Bo-Katan there at the table for a minute, but Bo-Katan like raised her hand up and said, okay, no, I've got this. Loved that detail too. Just a phenomenal scene. What do you think? Yeah, no, this whole scene is incredible. And this is leading back to this emotional discussion. I think, you know, Bo-Katan is like playing a game of chess, but with emotions. So she's she's moving pieces around on a board. Okay, I think I'm in a place now where I can say this is what happened. So her, if we go back to last week's episode, her receiving the Darksaber for a second time has a lot more weight to it even if the episode last week was as goofy as it is yeah you know like you think about just that ending scene you're like okay this is so much better and you know there's just a lot of like little little subtle things you mentioned Costca you know I get the impression Costca Reeves might be the only person at the table who knows the story Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I got too and and that tells me a lot about her and and Bo-Katan's relationship um not i'm talking platonically i'm talking like as friends here i think Mm -hmm. that's how you use platonic (laughs) i can't remember um i'm talking like specifically there's a an like a a king and their armor bearer okay like Mm -hmm. the king always takes their armor bearer with them they they're the one that dresses them for battle so to speak and 
we see that you mentioned Lord of the Rings. We see that in two towers with, um, with King Theoden, at the battle of Helm's deep. And I, I look at their relationship kind of like that moment where they have this give and take. It's a, an advisor, a bodyguard. It's a lot of things. And so very interesting relationship here with them for me, not just the drop of this is how the dark saber got to Gideon in the first place. I, I think there's a lot of honor with the way she handled that. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, Gideon's a two bit jerk and that I mean and to the credit of Giancarlo Esposito playing the character so perfectly you know it's just like you want to hate the guy but you love Giancarlo you know you just want to hate the character the character is so great you you love him (laughs) yeah and so like it's just one of these really cool things that it's happening in the scenes again bowl of spaghetti like I said a minute ago that's where my mind is I can't I can't pull (laughs) on one noodle and get to the end because I find a different noodle you know it's just (laughs) There's so much happening here that is incredible. And, and, and just a small little thing like this, just a table discussion. You know, it's, it, it's bringing yep. a lot of things to the surface. And again, kind of alluding to, and this one's not on Rick necessarily, like the facial expressions and stuff like that's for Rick for sure. But the, the pacing of slowing down and having these conversations is what really makes this episode flourish, in my opinion. And we're not done with the impactful conversations, because next up is Din Djarin. Din Djarin approaches Bo-Katan and expresses the, uh, that he had no idea of Bo-Katan's surrender and of her true character, but he now understands. Bo is having a low mental moment as she is doubting if she can keep everyone together with only the Darksaber. Din reveals that he only knows of the saber that she taught him. It means nothing to him or his people or station or bloodline. What matters to him is honor, loyalty, and character. These are the reasons he serves her. And the dialogue of your song is not yet written. I will serve you until it is. And then he puts his his fist to his heart like they've been doing, like the Mandalorians have been doing throughout this season. I lost it. I, I got to be honest. I shed a tear. I don't know why. I don't know what it was. I, I shed a tear in this in this moment. And I think it's just because we've kind of gotten to a point in this season where finally we're kind of expressing the, the weight of emotions and what's at stake here. And just the connection that Din Djarin and Bo-Katan have made at this point. Two characters that I absolutely adore. Like top tier Star Wars characters in the franchise at this point. Just kind of coming together. And I don't even, I'm not even talking like relationship wise. If you ship them, honestly, I see it. If you don't, I see that too. I'm just talking friendship, relationship, respect level here. Like this is just phenomenal stuff. What do you think of this scene? I do ship them and I'm not a shipper. Um, Yeah. This scene solidified me wanting them to have a romantic relationship. But like, not one that's ooey gooey one that's mm-hmm. just like i don't know i guess uh, the only comparison i can think of and this is not a good one is like mr and mrs smith like with, okay <laughs> you, know, you know like they they go to war together is really what i'm trying to say sure. and yeah. i love this concept because that's not something that's been done in star wars really well i think you know yeah. han and leia do get to fight next to one another that's great but we don't see them like fight together all right, sure. you, you, yeah, got Chew- you, you got you got Chewie there. That's great. The closest we get would be Padme and Anakin in, in Geonosis um, in the arena there. But even then, there's like 80 other Jedi, and it's there's not really like a we're working together, it's us against them kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I like the idea of that maybe happening with Din and Bo. And we've seen little bits yeah. of elements of that. Um, but 
the thing to me is just this like this honorable moment where Dan as like kind of like a knight of a round table, if you will, is is like I I you have my allegiance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I and to me, I never thought he was questioning his allegiance to her. Clearly he has been, because this is the moment where he's like, I'm with you to the end, you know, and the whole your song's not been written thing is great except it reminds me of that song that goes the rest is still unwritten you know like i don't i don't know the song but and that's my terrible rendition obviously (laughs) but um you know i i love the the weight to that it reminds me of some like biblical things you think about king david he had his mighty men and it's like you got Queen Bo-Katan or Princess Bo-Katan, as she was mentioned at one point or called at one point, and her mighty Mandalorians. It's like Din Djarin's like right there. You know, I, I love that concept. So mm-hmm. for me, it's just like a it's it's biblical in a way, but it's yeah, it's really cool just as a story point. Even I see that. And literally, as we are speaking, I, I, I kid you not, DJ, I just got a notification on my phone. Star Wars tweeted our queen. And it's oh! talking about Katie Sackoff as Bo Katan. Oh, no! she's the queen yeah. of Mandalore officially. There you go. So I that, love it. that's wild. Right on cue. Right on cue. But yes, Thank I'm you, Star Wars. I'm loving it's like they're listening. Somehow. I think they are. Somehow they're yeah. listening. Man, that's wild. <laughs> that's just wild. <laughs> anyway, it's wild what they've done with these two characters, and I'm just absolutely loving it. Great writing, great dialogue here, top tier moments. Next up. The armor, and this is where it gets interesting, at least for us mentally, and a lot of online community speculation is running hard with this one. The armor is going to retrieve the gauntlet and take the Mandalorians who wouldn't be able to make the trip to the forge up to the fleet that is in the atmosphere. The Top Gun Mandalorian, that's what I'm going to call him moving forward. The Top Gun Mandalorian reveals he can take the healthy Mandos to the forge. So let's go ahead. I know we're not done with the armor. Like, we flash back to her here and there a couple more times throughout the episode. But I want to go ahead and just knock it out since we're here. So let's go ahead and wrap up the armor storyline. She eventually gets the injured Mandalorians to the fleet safely. But, of course, this is where everyone's going crazy. I find it very convenient that she got out of there and offered to get out of there so quickly. So, of course, you've already kind of alluded to it. Could the armor secretly be working for Moff Gideon? I'm seeing some evidence for it, and, and even we could mention, and I know we're not there yet, but mentioning just the horns the horns on the helmet that the armor has, the horns that, on the helmet that Moff Gideon now has. Like, there's evidence there as far as the armor somehow being in play with Moff Gideon and the Empire somehow. It sounds like you're subscribing to that theory, DJ. Oh, 1 billion percent. Okay. I mean, I I didn't really buy it until earlier today. I saw um on Twitter somebody actually like bring that up. And and here's what I'm going to go find it really quickly. Um they basically just said um I find it very convenient that the armorer disappeared, you know, <laughs> yeah. right as the Imperials are attacking and right, I was like, right. "Oh, okay. Well, now I'm I'm sold." And actually that comes from uh, Twitter account Geeky Waffle Network. So if you want to go look at Network. that, but if you go look at them, they they were the ones who who put that out there, and they put the little "Don't be suspicious, don't <laughs> be suspicious." You know, they put that next to it, and I was like, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, <laughs> you know, and I, I actually turned that tweet into a meme and sent it to Caleb and, and all that. And, and I think he liked it. I have no idea. He probably didn't, but <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, um, no, I'm no, not all liking that... anything that you send me anymore. IG 12. <laughs> nope. Never again. Never again. I'm going to, I need to get uh, a Jersey that just like has IG is the name and just, 12. I know, I know just rocket, but somebody, you know, somebody listening is going to send one to you. Oh, that'd be hilarious. I know we've got listeners that make shirts, so well, then, it might happen. Uh, listen, the <laughs> listeners that make shirts, please, by all means, <laughs> I'll rock it, and I'll give you a shout-out and everything. But, you know, um, I've totally lost my train of thought. What the heck are we talking about? Um, we were talking about how the armor sucks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so all that to say, I, I subscribe to that. I think that the helmet is the key. And, look, I, I, it's really easy to say, oh, I noticed that back in season one, and and – say oh i knew the whole time well okay i know it's really easy to say that the moment we saw that helmet you know i was like oh cool horns and let and just was like horn because here's the thing I, I did a little research today the first indication and not indication the first debut of what a lot of people call the mall deloreans the yeah. darth mall mandalorians yeah. with the spikes that didn't happen in season five of clone wars it didn't happen until season seven Mm-hmm. And so when is even season seven premiere, it premieres after the first season of Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. So that's where we get the spiked helmets for the first time. And so I immediately, when I saw Clone Wars season seven was like, hold on the spiky helmet and thought about um, the armor. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And then I really started thinking about the Mandalorian culture, death watch. And then even now it's been referenced again this week. And it, 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 it's a lot of evidence leading to that. She was a mall DeLorean. I think she has a name and her name is Rook cast. Is that right? Yeah. From, yes. from she speaks like once she's named and she's a mall DeLorean. There's enough evidence, I think. And where's death watch from Concordia. Where were they hiding during the purge Concordia? It's there's enough evidence here that says this woman yeah. is this other woman, and, and the, the I'll, I'll just add to that too. The armor is very quick to mention that the Death Watch is gone. She exactly. could easily be she could easily be lying. Easily. And I think I think that she's not not that she has sold herself to the Empire necessarily, and, and trying to find a, a real leader. But you know, I think that she really does subscribe to this idea of whoever holds. Whoever the true bearer of the dark saber should be in charge, and mm-hmm. she's letting Bo Katan believe that she's in charge. Yeah, from her point of view, um, and she still believes that Moff Gideon is the true, you know, bearer mm. and an owner of the dark saber. Therefore, they're connected. They're working together. She's been a a part on this on this puzzle for the whole time, and um, you know, it, it's going to come come out next next week you know that yeah. she is think, yeah mm. I, I mean it has to and i that's why i think din should fight the armor and be like you lied to me and they get into <laughs> like a knockdown drag out fight and it'd be yeah. epic and awesome and then you have bo come in and wreck shop and mess up moff gideon and get him out of the way so that when we get to ahsoka we're only focused on thrawn you know that, that's what i want to see happen mm-hmm. now whatever john favreau put on paper and whatever happens next week don't care cool with it because it's john favreau he's going to do a great job yeah but that's currently what i want (laughs) okay yeah no i'm i think i'm 50 50 with it because i do think first viewing i immediately i was thinking okay the armor got out of there very conveniently i think she's got something to do with this but then second viewing 
of course, again, kind of alluding to the final scenes where Gideon's talking a little bit. He says, let's attack the fleet while we have surprise. Like, the armorer's up there where the fleet is, so maybe maybe not if he's wanting to attack the fleet, but maybe Moff Gideon doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's, he's got evil. the, he's yeah, got the he information that he wants from the armorer, and, and now he's just going to do whatever to wipe them all out. So I don't think that's enough evidence to sway sway you the other direction or anything like that. So, again, I'm 50-50 with it. I could easily yeah. see... I could easily see the armor turning, but let's not forget too. Axe Wolves takes off once they get in there, but I don't think it's him personally. I don't. I don't see him kind of Take, being involved. Takes off. He takes off once they get into the. Oh perm, yeah. Into Why the did forge. he leave? Did he get shot? To get reinforcements. Reinforcements. <laughs> well, I okay, and I for, I forgot about that, but I saw somebody say that him and um, what's her name on Coruscant, um, Elia Kane. That they're actually brother and sister, <laughs> and and nah. they they actually do look a little bit alike. Oh, uh, yeah, when sure, you see them sure. next, you see them next to each other. You're like, okay, but you know, I heard that and I was like, okay, yeah, I like. I, and we got the episodes called the spies, so sure. we know one spy is Elia Kane, mm-hmm. plural. It's simple Correct. English. Yeah, who's the other one? It and I think the most obvious one's the armor. Second most obvious would be Axe Woves or both of them. And sure. um, it's not Din. It's definitely not Bo. Um, it could be I one of the not. guys. <laughs> no, it it's could not be Bo. one of the guys on the uh, little pirate ship, the Mandalorian pirate ship, you know, yeah. look, bang, I mean, yeah, it could be Top Gun Mandalorian. It could be Top Gun Mandalorian. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, he was it. on the planet and Moff Gideon's on the planet, too. Conveniently, I mean, very you know, convenient. conveniently, <laughs> like they're all there. And but the only thing that I don't the, the one thing that tells me that, that they are not bad guys is that mm-hmm. Bo-Katan's like, oh, you're OK. I know you like she's sure. cool with because I think they call themselves night owls. Yes, they do. Yeah. So. They do. So like, OK, well, she's going to know who the night owls are. So right. hope, surely, you know, like you'd think. So that's the only reason to think that they aren't a part of the uh, spy network here. But, yeah, you know, well, Axe Woves and potentially the armor for sure. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I can't wait to figure out. Well, we are traveling then to the forge. Paz and Axe duke it out over a chess game when they disagree on the movements of a piece. Paz ultimately kind of wins the fight, in my opinion, but Grogu controlling IG-12 prevents them from continuing. Again, Bo-Katan says to Din Djarin that he taught Grogu well, and Din responds by saying he didn't learn that from him. So, takeaway number one for me, I loved this whole idea of Paz and Axe fighting. It kind of reminds me of like teammates on, on a field or a court that kind of duke it out or, or fight it out after having some high highly effort, highly competitive moment while practicing or something like that. But then after they kind of duke it out, they have this newfound respect for each other. It's 1,000% that same idea here. They fight, but now they respect the crap out of each other. And then takeaway number two for me is earlier in this season, we could assume that Din Djarin was talking about Grogu learning something from Luke. But in this moment, I think it's Din Djarin saying that Grogu has learned something from watching Bo-Katan throughout this journey as far as just his leadership ability now here as far as getting in between something stopping these two coverts from fighting each other that's just my personal personal preference there as far as Bo-Katan and why Grogu's just kind of been watching and, and that's the purpose I guess of this season three so far regarding Grogu's character development is seeing how to lead but that's that might be me reaching there. What were your thoughts of this season? Or not season. We're not there yet. What were your thoughts of this scene? 
scene. Yeah, he learned that from Luke. Really? Uh, um, yeah, because that I say that I was texting a buddy of mine who he, okay. he's a big he's a big Star Wars fan too, and we were talking uh, today about what we want to see happen with Grogu. We just uh-huh. we we, t- we tend to have these conversations kind of at random. Shout out Teak, hey Teak. Uh, but anyway, um, he he said that uh, he he doesn't want he wants Grogu to be a Mandalorian, full fledged Mando. Yeah. And and oh, I take it back. No, he said he wants a hybrid Jedi Mandalorian. And I'm like, cool. I want Grogu to just be a Jedi, plain and simple. I just mm-hmm. I want him to be a Jedi. I want him to learn from Ahsoka or Luke, and and all that. And and I really want that. Um, that probably I realize that probably won't happen. So for me, this seems like a real Jedi esque moment for Grogu to step in, and like guys this is not how this works. Mm-hmm. You know, Obi-Wan would have done the same thing, you know, like in the Clone Wars, you know, to a certain extent. And, and that's something I can see Ahsoka doing, you know, very easily. So it's a very Jedi heartfelt moment. And, and it's not a Mandalorian moment. Cause Din's like, we can't break it up or Bo-Katan said it. And right. who's going to break says, it up. Let it, let it fight out or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, what ends up happening? Grogu stops the fight. All right. Now, next week, when we find out Axe Woves is the other spy, we won't be happy that Grogu stopped the fight. Okay. True. We're gonna wish that, Very true. You know, but, and that's if that's wishful thinking, honestly. But, um, you know, I, I like this moment. It's a cool moment. And um, it really makes me have a different look at Grogu because up to this point, he's just been the cute baby. And now that he has the IG droid that he can use, oh, he's it's just, all in the mix now. It's kind of like okay, the the playing field's been leveled here, and I I like I like that for his character, especially yeah. next week. There's probably going to be some really cool Grogu thing that happens where he uses the Force and like pushes a Praetorian guard off a ledge or something. I don't mm-hmm. know, like <laughs> something like that's going to be really cool to see. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Well, they obviously continue traveling on their little ship here while they suddenly have to abandon it as there's a massive creature that comes out of the surface steering them underground now for me personally i immediately thought is this the mythosaur are we about to get this mythosaur coming out from underground and suddenly it just kind of makes its reveal to everybody but no it it was just a just a creature just it wasn't the mythosaur nah no no shot i don't think so did Wait, you think you it was? Know? Yes, I thought it was the mythosaur. Really? It had horns. Not the mythosaur skull, skull horns. Yeah, it did. No way. I got to rewatch for the fifth time. <laughs> All right. I guarantee you that if you watch this thing with subtitles, which you probably did do. I did. It's got to be like mythosaur roars. Nope. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously. Okay, well, let's admit the sword till John Favreau <laughs> says otherwise. All right, that's See, I don't think it is. I don't think well, it is. We're just going to have to Because they would have made a massive deal about that. If it was, in fact, the Mythosaur, massive deal. If All it's of not the Mandalorians the... would have stopped right there. They couldn't because their ship had just been destroyed. They had to get safe. Use the jetpack more and just take them, take the creature. Some all of in. them did. They bit the dust. That's what I'm <laughs> saying, though. Like, as soon as you land on the ground, if it's truly the mythosaur, they would have shot back up to be like, is this thing really the mythosaur? Before they came back down to safely. It, to safely. It's the myth. It's the mythosaur. So some, someone at Lucasfilm says otherwise. All right. Okay. That's, well, that's how I approach it. Sure. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I just don't think it is. <laughs> You keep but, well. But, you're 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 wrong, but you'll figure it out later. Okay, it, it's fine. I'm I'm wrong about IG12. You're wrong about the Mythosaur. It's okay. fine. All right. All right. We'll see. Six to one hand, half dozen the other. Right. Let's move we on. Shall, 
We shall see. <laughs> we shall see. <clears throat> anyway, the Mandalorians <laughs> make it to the remains of the Forge when suddenly Gideon's new Imperial troopers begin attacking them. Axe Woves finds a way to get out and retrieve reinforcements from the fleet. It's important to note that Axe is able to escape because Paz Vizsla covers for him, again, alluding to that newfound respect. Love to see that. The squad begins to make their way for cover when they suddenly get in Imperial-looking hallways, and this is where... I knew something was off. Like, suddenly we're in these nicely developed hallways of this Mandalore planet that's been destroyed. Um, I smell fish. Something's going on. Uh, we, we suddenly see Imperial Tech bombers and TIE fighters, and it all clicks. The hallways we saw Moff Gideon hiding out in at the beginning of the episode were underground on Mandalore. The best guard that was left behind on the shuttle that Carson Teva stumbled across when his best guard, or excuse me, were his best guard troopers. Anyway, great reveal for me. Din Djarin gets separated from the squad by a blast door as more of these Imperial troopers attack him and eventually restrain him. I loved this. I love the fact fact that uh, Moff Gideon is hiding out here, of all places. Like, this dude is trying to be... You said it before we got on, on this show, so I don't want to steal your thunder. Moff yeah. Gideon's trying to be what? He wants to be a Mandalorian so bad. So bad. <laughs> like And, like, I understand envy to the point of... Of, of of replicating what you want to be mm-hmm. uh case in point the uh the incredibles <laughs> that's the whole po- that's a great point <laughs> that's the whole plot to the incredibles which is hilarious because they're the same corporate needs you to find the difference between these two pictures they're the same picture okay it's moff gideon as a mandalorian and it's syndrome from the incredibles okay enough of that let's move on okay so you know it's tangent not number three no tangents way longer okay two and okay? a half i'll give you a half all right maybe a quarter but anyway um th- th- he wants to be a mandalorian so freaking bad like unless yeah, he, does. he does unless he was a Mandalorian during the Maldalorian takeover of Mandalore. Mm. And he, he said, I'll go be a ISB guy. And he's like, ah, I lost my way. I want to be this again, which yeah. Is, yeah. is not as exciting as, you know, <laughs> wanting to like be one so bad. And it's like, it's fun because like you, you see that you're like, Oh, you're such a drama queen. Like, <laughs> He is. He is a drama queen, and it's awesome. It's so fun to watch. It's great. So the horns here are very, very, very Darth Maul. Very. Oh yeah, yeah. When he arrives in his Beskar suit, all blacked out, Darth Maul horns, reddish details. Oh, I'm free. I'm freaking out. He looks great at this point. Looks Uh, so good. I wasn't surprised as far as I don't know if I don't think we were intended to be surprised, but Din Djarin surprised once the helmet comes off that it is, in fact, Moff Gideon. I think Din Djarin was more so surprised that uh, Moff Gideon got rid of the mustache personally, but uh, same, same, (laughs) same. same. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, we get this incredible dialogue, of course, like we always do when we get these incredible dialogue moments at the end of these chapters, we read them in detail. So. Moff Gideon's essentially saying, thank you for gathering the Mandalorians into one place. He's directing this at Din Djarin. You are a talented people, but your time has passed. However, as you can see, Mandalore will live on in me. Again, he's he's so, trying so hard Drama here. Drama queen. 
Thanks to your planet's rich resources, I have created the next generation dark trooper suit forged from Beskar alloy. And then he kind of pauses and says, and the most impressive improvement is that it has me in it. <laughs> it was so funny to me the way he delivered that. Uh, you see, every society has something to offer. The cloners, the Jedi, and even the Mandalorians. By aggregating the best of each, I will create an army that will bring order to the galaxy. Why don't we take your fleet off the board while we still have the element of surprise, activate the interceptors and bombers. In a few moments, the purge of Mandalore will be complete. What incredible, dramatic dialogue there now we mentioned up at the top we talked about the bodies in the tubes Snoke well here this is what made me start thinking okay maybe it is some side experiment here because he says something about building his own army he will create an army that will bring order to the galaxy maybe he's trying to create maybe he's trying to create more clones of himself since he thinks that the improvement of, of the Beskar armor is the fact that he is in it I don't know what did you think of this dialogue? You've already kind of alluded to the dramatics here, but yeah. I liked, I loved this stuff though from him. He He's a traditional villain and he's written as such, which is so much fun. Like if you love villains and, and, and like inherently, this is really fun because I, I enjoy a good villain monologue. I mean, the emperor does one in return of the Jedi and then Luke and Vader hash it out. And then we know how that goes. So it's very similar to that to me where he's like, I'm just going to tell you the whole plan. I'm so confident in the plan that Take I'm, out the I'm fleet. <laughs> you know, just go out. It, you're going to see that I'm the best is kind of what he's getting at. And I love that. Yep. Um, which is also why I think he dies next episode because pride mm. comes before the fall. So there's that. Um, and, and it's just fun to like, listen to, you know, the dialogue here, not to mention he's floating. Okay, he's, a, he's got know. a yeah, and I think he has a cape. What's not to love? Yeah, I mean, and yeah. the only thing he needs, like, I I don't think that this will be a black series action figure, but I want this whole thing to be an action figure with the dark saber. Like, that would be a lot of fun to like see him. I am the Mandalorian, you know. Like, it'd be really cool to see him. Oh, like, I am Mandalore. Yeah, like, it, it'd be great, but um, it's not gonna happen because he's gonna die next week. Mm. Okay. You know, it's just it's, <laughs> um, disagree, but okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'm, one of us is right. It's that's all that matters. That's it's, true. One of us well, is going to be Matt, right. One of us is right is about is, the mythosaur. Caleb's right about IG. <laughs> <laughs> it is a mythosaur, and he will die next week. Uh, but and it's IG eleven dash one point or eleven point two, whatever. Um, it should be eleven point two. That's really what it should be. Like an operating system is what it should be. That's your other half tangent. I'm done now. Okay. So it's funny. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's just funny. He's like, I want to be a Mandalorian so bad that I'm yeah. going to coat myself in Beskar, get all these troops to surround me who are also wearing Beskar. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter because, you know, Paz Vizsla goes ham here in a second, which is awesome. So, yeah. you know, uh, I, it, it's just, he's, he's a diva and it's, it's hilarious. The best yeah. villains are always divas. And, yeah. And it, he's great. He is. He's great. Well, we get our setup as far as Din Djarin goes for next week. Moff Gideon instructs his troopers to take Din Djarin to the debriefing room. Can't wait to get there next week. Personally, I'll go ahead and say it. I think the helmet's coming off in the debriefing room. I think that's how we get our one Pedro Pascal 
check off the list thing requirement for a season of Mandalorian we always get at some point he's got to take the helmet off so I, I definitely think it's going to be that moment it's going to be great though I will go ahead and say this if that happens and we get the two phenomenal actors of Giancarlo Esposito face to face with Pedro Pascal sign me up that's going to be with my favorite Katie thing. Sackoff with Katie Sackoff potentially popping be, up in even that, better that, in that honestly de- debriefing room as well yeah. goodness yeah. gracious come on give it to me <laughs> anyway good Bo-Katan addresses Gideon by saying, I should have killed you when I had the chance. Moff Gideon says, Bo-Katan, we have to stop meeting like this. Bo, I'll make sure of it. Moff, let's skip the pleasantries, shall we? I believe this is the part where you return the Darksaber to its rightful owner. Again, maybe something you alluded to there, DJ. Maybe the armorer does in fact believe that Moff Gideon is somehow still the rightful owner. Now... Surrender the Darksaber and tell these people that this planet is mine. Bo-Katan gives Paz a head nod, followed by Paz delivering a this is the way. Bo goes to the rear blast door to create an escape hole with the Darksaber as the remaining Mandalorians begin firing. I know for me personally, as soon as I see a saber go through a door, Qui-Gon Jinn, baby, takes me back. Always takes me back to the Phantom Menace, so I welcome that with happiness. Give that glee. to me anytime. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Glee. I welcome that with glee anytime they want to do that. Moff Gideon flies off as he instructs his troopers to open the blast door and kill the remaining Mandalorians. Paz, though, decides to cover the rear as the rest of the Mandalorians fall back into the escape hole Bo-Katan created. This is where it gets serious. This is where you know what's about to happen. Bo-Katan orders Paz to fall back once everyone is clear, but Paz decides to shut the blast door, leaving only himself on the outside. As he says, go, there are too many. Bo is unhappy with this, and Paz, of course, delivers one last time. This is the way, as he continues firing on the remaining troops. Paz eventually, beast mode, wipes all of them out. You think... All hope remains. He's coming back. He's going to meet up with these Mandalorian coverts yet again. Nah, 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 nah. Connecting back to the opener of the episode, Moff Gideon requested three Praetorians. These guards show up, and they go ham, and our boy Paz bites the dust. He's out. He's dead. Belly flops onto the ground. R.I.P. Paz. We love him. I hate to see him go. But I will say this, I do think the death serves the season perfectly. I think it raises the stakes. It reminds me of Quill dying in season one. R.I.P. Quill. I love this moment, though. Shout What'd out, you think? Quill. What'd you, <laughs> shout out, Quill. What'd you tell, think? tell us, Caleb, what is Paz's last name? Visla. Okay. Got you a little something, something here. Uh-oh. Okay? Here we par- go. A little parallel, okay? <laughs> Wasn't there a certain Visla? In Clone Wars, mm-hmm. was he yes. the good guy or the bad guy? Uh, he was the bad guy. So in a That's roundabout, pre, by the way, pre Vizsla, yes, pre Vizsla, pre. I couldn't remember, so thank you. <laughs> um, in a roundabout way, Paz Vizsla has avenged the disgrace of his family name until defi- that stupid Ragnar kid ruins it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's jimmy kimmel's nephew by the way right right i don't know if anybody knew that i just thought that was funny um he it's a cool moment if you think about it in the context of of, of like living in this universe 
that song's been written. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's a cool moment. You know, he, he went down swinging and as a, as a baseball fan myself and you want to go down swinging, sure. you know, yeah. and, and yeah. that, that applies to mixed martial arts and fighting and, and everything else too. So you got this great moment, you know, he sacrifices himself. He, he doesn't, I think, know he's going to make it out. And once you get down to one or two, you know, stormtroopers left, it's kind of like, okay, well, great. You know, we, we, that's all we got left. And then here come the Praetorians and you're like, dad, come it. You're like with epic music, I might add. And, and here's oh the great gosh. thing as soon and he, that's, what's going to be great is this episode is going to drop next Wednesday. The last four episodes of music are going to drop. Um, for everybody to listen to on whatever platform, you know, and, yeah. and I love the music. So I'm excited to kind of dissect all of the last four episodes with the music. So, yeah, you know, it, it it's, it's such a great moment. Um, it, I automatically respect Paz more um, because he's not just some brute with a gun. He, he, he's proven his honor almost every time we've seen him, you know, in Mandalorian season one, he rescues Din. You know, in Book of Boba Fett, he relinquishes the fight for the uh, Darksaber and, and yields to the armorer. And here, you know, he goes down fighting for what he believes in. Now, what he believes in is a cult, and it's totally wrong because the armorer has been, you know, you know, leading Secretly everybody astray. Yeah. yeah. So, so, we it, so we think. So we think. So we, we think. We might be wrong. So I know. And, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those, like, man, it's going to, like, really hurt Den even more. If if she ends up being a bad guy, the armor. So it's like, gosh, like there's just a lot with this last few moments. Not to mention, everybody was saying watch TFA. I'm like, nobody said to watch TLJ. I know, right? Like, yeah. Like that was I, I actually told myself afterwards, like that was probably more worth watching than TFA. Mm. That which, scene at least for sure. Yeah, like when have I ever said I would rather watch The Last Jedi than The Force Awakens? You're hearing it for the first and only time ever right here. But um, it's just one of those things. It's like, okay, I will say this, that I know that like there's always been some hardcore like fan hate for the Praetorian Guard fight in Last Jedi and the choreography of it. Like oh, there should have yeah, been yeah, this yeah. moment, that moment, yeah. you know, didn't have a problem with that here. Like it was, oh, handled, no. it was handled very well. I think that Lucasfilm was like, listen, get this one right. Yeah, these were handled phenomenally in my opinion yeah and i loved the kind of mando inspired helmet that they have that they don't have in the last jedi love that little detail really? so to, they are they are a little bit different a little bit different from the last jedi ones yeah but I, I love the at least the bright red connection for sure yeah i mean and you gotta think about the imperial uh royal imperial guard for Palpatine it's so like at one point Moff Gideon's like I want to be a Mandalorian another part it's kind of like he wants to be a Sith and another part he's kind of like he wants to be the Emperor which is another reason why Thrawn's going to come in and take him out or you know Bo-Katan's going to take him out or something like that you know it, I got a lot of different theories in the works right now and I'm just kind of like which one makes the most sense I have no idea so it's only a matter of time before we see his fall and I, I do think it's as is early it has to be next week i really do think it has to be next week well man we're we're gonna we're gonna see we're gonna see but mm -hmm. i'm very excited for this finale this penultimate episode was a top tier episode in my opinion as far as the mandalorian episodes go i know a lot of people out there it's it, it's their favorite and i absolutely love that that we've got an episode that that's that reaches that quality 
yeah. with this week's episode. And, you know, speaking of our Twitter poll, we run these every Wednesday. So follow us on Twitter at Mando Talk if you want more content from us. On our tweet here, as far as voting for how would you rate this episode, this is the first time this has happened this season. It's almost a landslide. It is a landslide. 9 out of 10 got 78.9% of the vote. And the only other category that got votes was the 7 to 8 good. 21.1%. Zero votes for 5 through 6. Zero votes for 1 through 4. So I am so glad to see that. I'm so glad to see that this episode is clicking and banging for all fans and everyone that watched and I also want to while I'm here give a shout out to Jessica Sitton who responded to that poll and said the following I thought it was great it had a little bit of everything I loved the humor with Grogu hitting the yes and no buttons fellow parents can relate I loved seeing the groups come together and seeing Grogu tell the grown men to stop that was cool going back to the opening scenes I like how they are tying things together for the first order and last from Jessica here I had heard Mando was going to get kidnapped but I honestly had forgotten because I was so into the episode so it still was a shock. Moff's gear was awesome. I'm so sad about Paz though. This episode hit all the emotions for me. 1000%. And yeah, something that we had kind of talked about and been worried about on Twitter was the fact that people at Star Wars Celebration saw this episode several days ago. Luckily for me, I did not get any spoilers and I'm so glad, so glad I didn't. But Jessica, I feel like you kind of just wrapped up all of our thoughts. I loved your take here where you said fellow parents can relate with that Grogu hitting the yes and no button. Maddie immediately, my wife Maddie, immediately died laughing with the yes no button and immediately yeah. thought, oh, this gives me dad energy for sure. So yes, you're not alone in feeling that way and I think that was by design 1000%. Well, that wraps up our breakdown. I hate to end this episode because I love talking about this chapter. There's so much to talk about. There's so much to dissect. And hopefully, if you're still listening, you believe that we dissected it heavily. And if you're still listening and you haven't subscribed at this point, make sure you do that. Wherever you're listening, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, any podcast platform, hit that subscribe button, the follow button. Hit the like if you're on YouTube. Rate us five stars if you are on Spotify or Apple or any of the pod platforms. It really helps. Those five-star ratings do a lot as far as putting the podcast in front of yeah. other people. So make sure you do that for us. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And we appreciate those of you that have recently joined us. I know there's been a lot recently that have joined us. So thank you so, so, so much. I cannot wait to deliver a finale breakdown episode next week. And of course, we're going to go extra with one more kind of recap overall thoughts on the entire season rather than just the finale with Zach Horvath coming back. But DJ will be back next week to break down the finale, man. I can't wait. I'm probably going to get emotional. I always get emotional with season finales of The Mandalorian. This is Mando Talk. If you didn't know, I started this podcast to talk about the Mandalorian. So it always breaks my heart when it ends. But it seems like in this episode, this episode of The Mandalorian established it, it seems like the Ahsoka series is going to be a continuation. So we'll be back very, very, very soon. DJ, final thoughts on this 
episode of The Mandalorian and final thoughts to our lovely, lovely clan that is of Clan Mando Talk. Thank y'all for real for listening. You know, you mentioned you started this because you want to talk about Mando Talk. I got into Mando Talk so weird. And those of you who've been around a long time know I want a I want a contest. <laughs> and then I and then I kept, I don't know why. Caleb just like, it's like I'm a stray cat. He just like kept saying, Come on, come on, come on. So I've always enjoyed being a part of it. And it's it's always meant a lot um to me because it's just so so much fun. Um, but this episode was fantastic. You, you, you guys know you listen this far, you know what my thoughts are on it. So just rewind and listen again, is what I would say. There and you um, you know, as far as that goes, I'll just quick little personal plug. I, I got another podcast called Cinematic Theology. Um, and I've talked about a little bit about that on here before. So uh, if you want to go check out Cinematic Theology, it's on Spotify, Apple Podcast, um, uh, Google Podcast. And so we like we like Spotify the most over there. But um, come come check it out if you like to talk about m- other kinds of movies. We talk about a lot of things on those episodes. So it's very tangent esque. Of course, if you're if you know me, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, you don't um, have three over there, right? You don't have three. You got more. Three what? Three tangents. You got more than three there. Yeah, there. well, Parker and John are real, <laughs> real kind to me. You know, Parker is an old, a very old friend, and John knows me well. So it's one of those we we let you talk because <laughs> okay. we yeah, love yeah, you yeah. kind of <laughs> deals. But um, you know, but I, we talk a lot about a lot about movie stuff that a lot of people just don't think about. And I, I like to study movies, so I get to pull out a lot of fun knowledge there that I I don't pull out a lot here uh, these days. I did back in the day. So go listen to old Mando talk episodes if you want to see more <laughs> or listen to more movie tangents from me because there's a lot of them. Hey, unfortunate. Maybe that's it, maybe man. that's fortunate. Maybe it's unfortunate. You know, it just depends if you enjoy my voice. I guess <laughs> I don't even enjoy my voice half the time. So, um, but you know what? Keep coming back to Mando Talk. Keep coming back to hear more stuff. I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks. It's gonna be good. Ooh. It's gonna be a good time. So, and I'm excited about Zach being back with us. And you know, I've only ever done I think one episode with Zach. With Zach. So. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to hearing him talk and, and more because, I mean, what he's already said about the season has been awesome. So I'm really looking forward to yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that wraps up this episode here. Thank you so much for listening. Come back next week for the finale of The Mandalorian Season 3 and make sure you stick around here. Again, hit those subscribe buttons because, of course, here at Mando Talk, we'll also cover you as we head into Ahsoka and all the great Star Wars things. All right, let's officially get out of here. As we always say, we have spoken.